I think about church, I think about our culture, and I think about where we are. And we are located in an area that is known by most as the Bible Belt. Now, there are certain things that take place within this region, and one of them is church. Now, the popular thing is for church to be on a, a Sunday. And I think that a lot of us, we want to raise our kids in the church. We want them to do good. We want them to be around good people. So we, we focus on these different programs. We focus on these different activities. But I think the, the main gathering emphasis of the church that we have established as a culture has been the Sunday morning worship. Now, that is good. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it is bad because we want to come and to gather corporately. The Bible talks about that. It is very important. But church is much more than that. And my fear for most of us as we've grown up in this culture or as we have been around it is that we become saturated in the culture rather than being saturated in Christ. And see, what we're supposed to do is, is not to follow the way of the culture, even though those ways may not necessarily be bad, but overall, we are to open up our Bible, we are to look into God's Word, and we are to see how we can grow closer to Jesus rather than grow closer and within a culture. And so today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be reading out of verses 16 and 20. This is a passage that will probably be very familiar to a lot of you. It's part of Jesus' final words to his disciples. It's known as the Great Commission. But today what I want us to focus on is a part of that passage that I bet a lot of people have overlooked when they've read it. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and dig in. We've got to start because there's a lot to talk about. And I'm very excited about the things that I feel like God has put on my heart to share with you today. Listen to what the passage says. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what has happened at this point is three years prior to this, Jesus started his ministry. During this time, he gathered many disciples, but specifically in this passage, they're referencing 11. They're referencing 11 because one of the 12 betrayed Jesus, hung himself. He's gone now. So now there's 11. So after this ministry, Jesus proclaimed time and time again in his ministry, and specifically to the twelve, that he was to die, and three days later, rise from the dead. At this point in time, Jesus has already been crucified. He has risen three days later. Mary, uh, Magdalene and Mary, his mother, they went to the tomb. They saw that no one was there. They saw these angels. The angels told them to go tell the disciples. They go tell the disciples. Peter, being curious, he gets up. He darts back to the tomb, realizes nobody's there. At this time in, in history, Jesus has already appeared to many different people. In Mark, it talks about how he appeared to two disciples, 
uh, not the specific 11 on the road as, he was, as they were walking to go home. In fact, the disciples that they talk about in that passage, they didn't even recognize Jesus. And so they're like walking with the risen Lord, talking to him. They realize it's getting late, and they say, hey, why don't you come in and eat with us? Why don't you stay over? We don't want you to, to be out alone here during this time. And as they gather together, they realize, oh, my goodness, this is Jesus. I mean, I would be freaking out. Especially the fact that I did not know him as I was with him for all that time. And then we also see that he revealed himself to the disciples as they were inside. In fact, they were afraid. It says in the scripture that they locked themselves inside because they were afraid of what was going to happen. Because they thought that Jesus was dead. And that everything they devoted their lives for was gone. And then all of a sudden as they're inside, boom, Jesus appears to them. Thomas, being the doubting one, looks and says, I will not believe until I see the, the scars on his hand. And in his side, Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. He shows them the scars, and he says, my Lord and my God. The reason I tell you this is it's important because in this passage we see in the first verse, it says that the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Jesus specifically said, go to this mountain, and so they were obedient. They went there, and they waited for him. During this time, Jesus gathered. He said many things to them. But here's what we need to focus on today as we set the foundation for this passage is this. As he's with these disciples, it says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Have you ever actually read that part of the scripture? It says that some, they saw Jesus, and in this moment they worshipped Him, but there are others that they saw the risen Lord and they doubted. Now, why it's important to understand the, uh, the, 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 the time frame in which everything took place is because what you need to realize is that the eleven disciples were not the only ones who were with Him. Jesus had many other followers, and in this passage a lot of scholars do believe that those other followers also went to the mountain, but Jesus specifically wanted the twelve there. That doesn't mean that the others could not come, but he specifically wanted the, excuse me, the eleven there. And so they came. So what we see is that there were other disciples of Jesus who were there on the mountain, and when Jesus revealed himself to him, that to them, that they did not immediately believe. See, I think before we can actually look into the scripture, before we can actually look into this, this commission that God has given us, we've got to realize for ourselves that if we don't believe it, then what good is it? You know, if we don't truly believe it, if church is just this thing that we do on Sunday morning, and that it is not this transformation of our life which comes only through Christ, then, then really what do we truly believe? You know, I've often heard, open up your checkbook and you can see what you really worship. Look and see the time in which you spend and the many different activities which you spend and you will see what you truly worship and you will see what you invest yourself in. And more than likely, for a lot of us, it is not Christ as it should be. And so what it reveals to us really and honestly is what we truly worship and what we truly worship is what we truly believe in. And so the first thing that we've got to realize when we look at this passage is that we all are called to believe in Jesus. In this passage, we see that the first, the disciples who were there, they doubted. Now, what's very interesting about this is that they would be considered the first skeptics. 
You know, we look at our, our culture today and there are many skeptics. We live in a time where uh, philosophy is, is rampant. People have so many different ideas and they're trying to put theories together and they're trying to do everything to point their way to this God. And so it's really difficult sometimes if we don't believe in Jesus and if we don't try to study and, and stretch our mind to know more about Christ, it makes it very difficult. And so what we see are the first skeptics, and this word doubt here is what really stands out to me, because the truth of the matter is, at some point in time in our life, I guarantee you that we have all doubted. When we were faced with that moment of decision, when we were to give our life to Christ, in that moment, there was some wrestling of doubt. I know for me that there was great doubt. The night that I really felt like God was calling me to give myself over to Him, I did not want to do it. I didn't want to do it because I knew that it was going to be a great sacrifice. And I wasn't willing to make that decision. But I knew that there was something about Jesus that I wanted. And so I wrestled back and forth until I finally fell on my face on a floor in a gym in front of a bunch of my peers and just said, God, I give myself up to you. I still had a lot of questions. But I knew that there was a God that loved me. And I knew that He had great power. And He wanted to give me that same power, that same love, that same hope. And I thought to myself, goodness, what's to lose? I want that. See, it's okay to wrestle. It's okay to doubt. But the thing is, is when that doubt overshadows your faith then we have issues listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 21 21 he said truly I say to you if you have faith and do not doubt you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree but even if you say to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea it will happen see God tells us that we must have faith to overcome that doubt. And when we do, that we can do great things. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 1.7. He says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, God has given us a, a, a spirit of power, of greatness. When we look in Isaiah chapter 6 and we see the picture of God's throne room, what is so amazing about that picture is that that lives inside of us when we submit ourselves over and give ourselves to God in faith. And He gives us that great power that comes only through the mystery and the miracle of the Holy Spirit, which is Christ living within us. And so I look at that and I ask myself, why would I not want that? Why would I not want to believe in Jesus? And then, once you make that decision, once you make that step of faith, there, that is when great things begin to happen. And that is where we find ourselves today. Is that once we believe in Jesus, we understand that we are to follow Him. And wherever, wherever He leads, we must go. And so we learned today that we must believe in Jesus, but the second thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus requires something of us. He wants us to get out and to break a sweat. In other words, He doesn't want us to hoard what He has given us. He wants us to use it. He wants us to utilize it. And this is where I really want to focus today. Because God has given us a gift here in this church. 
I've had the privilege to see this church grow from when we were in Lake Carolina Elementary into the building directly behind us and in here. And if there's one thing that I am convinced about the church that I have learned as I have been here is that it's not about the seats that we sit in. It's not about the stage and the lights that we have. But what makes this place a home, what makes this place the church, is all of you who come and gather and begin to disciple, begin to teach, begin to grow, and begin to go. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Oftentimes when this passage is taught, it's the word go that people focus on. But the reality of it is this, is that the focus of that passage is not go. Go is a participle meaning going. It is the action that takes place when we are doing what God has called us to do. Because the reality of this is what we are supposed to do is make disciples. That's the purpose of the passage. The purpose of what Jesus is telling us is to make disciples. And he's saying, you are going to go. Tomorrow, many of you are going to wake up. You are going to go to work. When you leave here, you are going to go and eat something today. You may be around a group of people. You may be around your family. Some of you have other activities that you are going to be doing. The reality is in our life is that we are continuing to go. We are constantly going. But what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that while we are going, we should be and are supposed to be making disciples. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that whatever we do, do unto the glory of God. We've talked about this in the past uh, messages that Eric has spoken of. He talked about how we are to give everything to God and to live our lives for His glory. It is no different here as Jesus calls us to be the church 24-7. Wherever we go and whomever we serve, we must do it in the name of Christ. And we are to continue to make disciples. But here's the thing. How can we make disciples if we're not being discipled? For me to get into college, I had to go through high school. To get to high school, I had to go through middle school, middle school, elementary school, elementary school, preschool. You know, you have to start somewhere and you have to build up that knowledge. You have to build up that understanding. And it starts somewhere and it starts with being discipled. It starts with being mentored. And so today what I want us to go through is this. And if you have your pens, I want you to write the word GROW in all caps. In each letter, I'm going to give you a point on how you can grow and go. How you can grow and go. So how can I grow? How can you be discipled? How can you be discipled here? How in this church family specifically can you grow? I think the first thing is this, is one that you need to get in the Word. First things first, we need to get in the Word. It may be opening up your Bible and just starting to read. One thing that I do is I have this thing called a version app. I don't know if you have apps or not. You can get this on the computer. And what it does is it gives you daily devotions. 
that you can learn uh, different things. The one that I'm doing right now specifically is one on marriage. Uh, that is a new adventure in my life, and so I want to make sure that we're getting this thing right from the start, you know, because uh, I, don't, I don't want those arguments to come frequently. And so I want to make sure that that is something that is being laid firmly in my life and doing it the right way and basing that on what Christ wants me to do. Another one that I have on there is for parents, because that's something that I am around a lot. Some of you are great parents. Some of you... I'll keep on moving. So we, we have, we, I want to make sure that I have that app so I can kind of look and see and have a resource to, to help you all out, to help everyone out, to help, help as a guide as we continue to grow closer to Christ. And so that is something that is very important. Now, here's something we need to know about God's Word. Is oftentimes we tend to think that it's going to have the answers for everything. You want me to tell you something? It doesn't. Now, what it can do is point you in a direction, but eventually there are going to be decisions that you have to make on your own. Let me tell you uh, my point in this. is The Bible doesn't tell us where to go to school. You know, for all our college students, you know, I've, I've met with a lot of them who just graduated, and they're saying, you know, where do I go to school? What should I do? Where should I go? And all this stuff. And they're like, you know, I've, I've been reading the Bible, and I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Well, that's because the Bible doesn't say go to Coastal, go to Furman, go to College of Charleston. The Bible doesn't say to go there. But what the Bible does reveal to us is this, is that we are created in the image of God. Because of that, we have a plan and we have a purpose to our life. The Bible tells us that God wants us to prosper through His plan. But the Bible also tells us that God has created us in a specific way with specific gifts, with specific attributes that are a reflection of Him. Now, when I'm looking at schools, what I need to realize first and foremost is, God, what gifts have you given me? What passions have you given me? And then I'll open up and I'll look at these different schools to see where I can better grow in the gifts that God has given me. Now, where did that come from? That came from God's Word, but that came from the relationship that I had with Jesus to where He could reveal to me the things that I need to focus on because of the gifts that He's given me. It's the same for many different uh, situations in your life. As you look and you gather, you realize the identity that God has given you, and so you can place that into different areas, and, and God will direct you in your paths as you go and grow closer to Him. But that is only by growing in His Word, because what God's Word reveals to us is this. It reveals to us His character. It reveals to us who God is and how we can grow closer to God. And if we are walking with God, then we can't go wrong. It doesn't mean that hard things are not going to come our way. I will guarantee you that hard things are going to happen in your life. But I'd rather those things happen knowing that I'm walking with a God who has control over that than to know that I'm trying to do it on my own and continue to fail. So we need to get in His Word. How can we do that here specifically at our church? Well, we have these things called V-groups. You hear us talk about them all the time. But there's a reason why we talk about them, because I believe that they are very important. In fact, we're going to see in another passage here later on why they are important, and it goes directly with what the Scripture tells us. And it's because what happens there is we can grow closer to God, and it'll help hold you accountable to reading the Word, to building that relationship with Christ. Some other specific ways, as I look over here with Becky here on the front, is, is women of purpose. That is a great opportunity, ladies, for you to come together on Wednesdays and Fridays and to be able to, to come and fellowship, but to also grow closer to Christ through His Word. To have that set for you so you can do that. 
We have a men's ministry that meets on Wednesday nights as well. And it's a great time, guys, to come together and to sharpen each other in His Word. The second thing that I see is that we need to invest in real relationships. So first we get in God's Word, but the second thing is we need to, to focus on real relationships. Now sometimes this is tough because we, a lot of us do have uh, friends that we have known for a long time. I know for myself, I've got some buddies that I've known since I was about two or three years old. But the reality of it is, is because of where I'm wanting to grow in my walk and where I'm wanting to grow in my relationship with the Lord, there are certain friends that I just can't be around all the time. Now that doesn't mean that I don't stop loving them. That doesn't mean that if something is going on in their life that I don't stop what I'm doing and I go and I invest in them, I help them and I'm right there with them. As I sat next to one of my buddies as I watched his father die, to be there for him in those situations, that is how we show Christ's love. But the truth of the matter is this, is that the Bible tells us, in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. Are you hanging around people that are going to sharpen you? And what I mean by that, are you hanging around people that are going to make you better? Or do you keep hanging out with your drinking buddies? The ladies who repeatedly get around and just keep talking bad about everyone in the neighborhood. And you know that you don't want to be with them, but you're torn back and forth because you don't know how to balance that. It's a battle that I've faced. But I know that if growing closer to God is the most important thing in my life, that there's certain things that we must part ways with. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24, it says, There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. One thing about family is that no matter what happens, they're always there. No matter how many fights my sister and I got in growing up, she's always going to be my little sister. And I'm always going to love her and I'm always going to protect her. And I always want the best for her. See, the Bible tells us that that is the type of friend that we are to have. John 15, 12 through 13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Listen to this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That is what a true friend looks like. That is what an authentic relationship looks like. And as I look at this church, I realize that is what we want to grow here. As I look back on my life, my closest friends that I still hold dear to are the ones that I have known through church. And the reason why is because those are the guys that I have prayed with. Those are the guys that I have cried with. Those are the guys that I have walked through life with. And those are the guys that I have endured pain, endured laughing, endured so many things with. And it is because it is an authentic relationship. And those are the ones that I would give my life for to this day because I love them. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. And who did that? Who demonstrated that love for us? Well, it was Jesus. The Bible tells us that God looks at us, and in all His glory and all His majesty, He looks at us and He calls us friend. That is friendship. That is a true, authentic, and real relationship. 
One of the greatest joys that I have seen at this church has been watching the students grow and become friends. Each year, one of the most pivotal moments for our student ministry is when we go to camp. And when we leave, I've often had people say, well, I don't know if my, my son or daughter wants to come because they may not, they don't really know anybody. But what happens is the miracle of relationships that when they get there, as we train our students to love one another, to show God's love, what we see is that friendship manifest at camp and they come home and then they're best friends. And there's nothing more rewarding than getting a text or a phone call from a mother or a father saying, thank you. I didn't do anything. But it was God working through them. That did great things. See, as we talk about the groups, that's where those relationships form. As we look at women of purpose, as we look at the different ministries that we have in this church, that is where those relationships form. And that's why it's important for us to invest in those. So we see that we need to get in the Word. That we have real relationships, but we also see that we need to offer our service. So offer your service. What does that mean? Jesus said in Matthew 25, 25, Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Listen to what James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what are we to do? In other words, we are to offer ourselves to others. We are to serve other people. Not only are we saying, God, minister to me, minister to me through my friends, minister to me through these small groups, minister to me through this church, but we must get out and do something about it. The passage says that we are to go to all the nations. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says that we are to be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A way that it is summarized is this. We are to be God's witnesses here, there, and everywhere. So what does that look like? Well, it starts as we build this foundation here. What is Village Church doing to serve? I look at what's going on in our church and I see the great events that Becky does all throughout the year. As we do the Easter extravaganza, as we have BBS, as we have the Back in the Swing Fling, as we do our Lakes Carolina, all these events that we are able to be out in the community and you have an opportunity to serve there. As we're getting kick-started in, into the fall, I look at something that we do as a student ministry where we have over 400 high schoolers come on Friday nights after every home Blythewood, after every Blythewood home game, and we do a thing called the post-game party. That stuff doesn't just operate on its own. It takes people to sacrifice, to commit, to come out and to help us serve. And I believe that God is calling y'all, as you are sitting out there, to find an area in this church and in this community where you can serve. Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. As we look into our region, as we look into this greater Columbia area, I look at people in our church and I think of Michelle James. 
who's working at Gonzalez Gardens, who felt like God was calling her to do missions, but what she realized all of a sudden was that, oh my goodness, missions is here. And missions is across the street, and so God called her down to Gonzalez Gardens, and so she's down there tutoring students every day after school, doing different trips for them, allowing them to go to different camps throughout the summer, giving them an opportunity to have a life that they would not have otherwise. And many are being impacted because of that. To the ends of the earth. Haiti. One thing that our church does is that we have an initiative with Haiti through Alex's house, a great organization whom I had the privilege last March with several others here to go and to serve these orphans. I've never seen more smiles in my life. You know why? Because they understand that they need Jesus. And they see Jesus through us. They see Jesus as we bring food, as we bring shelter. You know why? Because they're praying for that. They're saying, God, if you're real, bring me food. And so what happens when we show up with a bag of rice or if we, we come with some tools and, and we're building them a, a shed or a house or something to be able to, uh, to live in, what they realize is, oh my goodness, God, you answered my prayer. You are alive. You are true. What an amazing testimony to see what God is doing in this church and how you can help with that. You can help financially. But if God's calling you to go, then you need to listen and you need to act on it. And you need to do it. Another way that you can serve is something that I'm very passionate about is within our own student ministry. I know one of the biggest intimidations for a lot of people is they're like, well, I'm not cool enough. You know what? Kids don't care if you're cool. They care if you love them. They don't care if you're 89 years old or if you're 21. They care if you love them. They don't care if you've taught at a seminary. They don't care if you just became a Christian a week ago. What they care is that you love them and that you're authentic and that you're willing to learn and that you're willing to grow. And you know what? That's why we're here to help train and to help you go. That's what we want from you as you come in to serve. Maybe God's telling you to serve in that way. Maybe it's to go over into the children's ministry to help a teen kid. As you have these children who need someone to watch after them, to play with them to nurture them and to, to protect them and to guide them and to give them God's word as you're able to teach them. Maybe God's calling you to do that. But the last thing that we see as we continue to grow is that it is very important that we worship. What is worship? Worship is the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. Worship is in everything that we do. We do unto the glory of God. And putting Christ first in our life. Listen to what Colossians 3, 14 through 17 says. It says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever we do, we do it giving thanks to God. As we come in here, we should already have prepared ourselves before we come to church in prayer to where when we come in here, we're ready to explode and rejoice. We're excited just to gather with other people who actually believe that Jesus is Lord as I do. And so we come together and we worship, singing psalms and hymns, giving thanks and proclaiming God's glory, God's majesty, God's greatness. But it says it doesn't end here. It begins here and it continues in our community. It continues in our home. It continues across the street. It continues in our businesses. It continues at our work. It continues at our family. It continues until we go to bed and we wake up again and we continue on going. How we are discipled is how we disciple. We are to grow and go and continue to grow. So let me ask you this, church. Are you growing? Do you truly believe in the cause of Christ? That He brings hope and that we have a world that needs Him? And are you allowing yourself to grow in Him? And let me ask you this. Are you going? Are you making disciples? Because I truly believe this. It starts today. It starts today. So my challenge for you is to find that area where you can serve. To find that place where you can grow. And start today. Giving it all to God. Thank you.